for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. This week, we are talking to Mona Highland, a final year PhD student under the supervision of Professor David Henschel at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. Mona is investigating the effects of cannabinoids, particularly cannabid oil, CBD, on the microRNA expressions in epilepsy. CBD shows its potential as an anti-seizure treatment, especially for drug refractory genetic types of epilepsy. However, the underlying molecular mechanisms of CBD's anti-seizure activity are still unknown. Hello Mona, it's lovely to have you here. Please tell us about yourself and what you do. Oh, hi, Tori. Nice to see you today. Likewise. So, well, I'm Mona. I'm a um, PhD student, final year now, hopefully finishing end of the year, fingers crossed, uh, here in Dublin and Ireland uh, in the Royal College of Surgeons as part of Future Neuro. So Future Neuro is a research center mainly focusing on epilepsy and also motor neuron disease where I am working on the epilepsy side. Before Ireland, I'm originally from Germany. So I did my undergraduate in Mainz, which is close to uh, Frankfurt. Um, so I studied biology. Actually, I wanted to study veterinarian, but school, like I wasn't that good that I could study it. But so I went into biology because I always liked it and then found the love of neuroscience, did the master of neuroscience in Freiburg, which is south of Germany. And then after I came to Ireland. Cool. How long have you been in Ireland now? I, this is my fourth year now. So in November, it will be four years. It's like you're practically Irish anyway, then. <laughs> yeah, I'm, get, I'm try, getting to getting used to the rain and the cold weather. <laughs> and the beer and the humor. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I'm trying that. So can you tell us a bit about the work itself that you're doing and uh, ex give us the basics of um, what is human DNA and how, and what is human RNA and how are those two linked and how does that work? How do you work with those? Yeah. So my PhD project is, um, focusing on the treatment of epilepsy, particularly, um, using cannabinoids like cannabidiol and CBD, because it's at the moment quite out in the, uh, it's coming more and more as a medical, um, treatment for epilepsy. And obviously it's not yet fully understood why CBD is working in epilepsy. And I'm trying to understand a little bit uh, what could be an underlying mechanism. And there it, I'm f targeting mostly microRNAs. So obviously what are microRNAs? So we start with the DNA. So obviously DNA, this is our genetic information. So this is where all the genes are stored and gives the information how we are looking if you have blue hair, uh, blue eyes, brown hair or whatever. And obviously um, this gets then translated into RNA and RNA has the information about all the proteins. So um, it forms our cells, it, it 
forms everything in, in our body. So this is where the DNA gets copied into RNA and RNA makes into protein. But obviously this needs to be regulated somehow, not that we get massive amount of protein, which would be also not too good. It needs to be in a balance on their microRNAs come in because what they can do, they can basically bind on the, on the RNA and block the expression of protein. It's basically like a regulatory process. So basically you, you put a stop into something and then um, something doesn't get processed. And um, this is a good way to, to it's everywhere in our body um, and it works just that everything is keeping a nice balance. The problem is if it's not working properly, it can lead to diseases, and this is also the case in epilepsy. So some microRNAs are upregulated or downregulated. That means, for example, if one microRNA exists a lot, it blocks proteins. That means, for example, we have less channels in the neurons or whatever, and this can lead to a dysfunction of the neuronal signaling. Is it um, only, at the moment, the genetic epilepsies you're looking into regarding um, these treatments, or is it the whole shebang, all the types of epilepsies? It's, no, I'm looking into uh, temporal, also acquired epilepsies, like temporal lobe epilepsy, and also genetic epilepsies, mostly um, childhood epilepsies, yeah. So what is, what is a day in the life of of you, Mona? What, what is, uh, is there such a thing? And I guess things are different during lockdown. But you know, when people think of um, an epilepsy researcher or a scientist, it's like, well, well, darling, you must have on a, a nice swift white coat and, you know, and thick rimmed glasses like mine. And, uh, you know, what is it really like? What do you do? So it every day is kind of different. So there's I'm obviously most of the time I'm in the, in the lab um, having my nice white coat on. Um, but obviously there are, there are different um, parts of my work. So I'm doing the normal wet, we call it wet lab stuff. This is everything molecular, where I do a lot of this pipetting, where oh, cool. you, you just pipette liquids back and forth, and then um, you put in a machine and your machine gives you nice numbers, and then it gives you results. But on the other hand, obviously, um, when you work with um, treatments or whatever you they need to be tested before so at the moment i've started also um, brain slice electrophysiology where we can record basically activity from uh, actual um, brain, brain tissue, tissue uh, which is possible from animals and also humans which is kind of excited that you also could do from epileptic human brains i'm not yet i mean i'm very early in this stage and then obviously I have the preclinical work where we look into animal models and um, test different parameters there. I wish they'd use some of my brain, like when I had my surgery. I, I wish they yeah. could have taken out like, because I saw that skank in my MRI. Even it was like so rank, I could see like this little bit sticking out, well not sticking out, but it was just like flipping obvious even to the untrained eye. And I wish that I could have donated that somehow to but i think it's mm -hmm. last minute surgery so what's going to happen like over the next six 12 months in your research because i think really important for well i was going to say for the general public but even you know clinicians and even other um academics like what does the next six 12 months hold in terms of your research so we can manage expectations here um and what does the next five years hold 
Yeah, so obviously for, for me, directly the next few months we'll be writing up all the nice results I got from my PhD project and hopefully get some publications out of it. Um, over the future, obviously my hope is that there is a better understanding how cannabinoids or particular CBD at the moment is working um, because obviously the problem, I tell you the problem, which when you work on microRNAs and you work on cannabinoids, you have two big networks and you try to find in this big network a connection. And obviously it's, it's like you have two different streets coming together, you know, on two, two networks of streets and you try to find a common route from one point to the other. And it's, yeah. it's really messy, but this is kind of also the exciting thing of it, because it's like detective work a little bit to find, you know, where could be connections. You cannot explore everything. It's not possible, but that gives you for the future also possibilities to maybe look into other aspects. And then um, you would, you'd need to investigate this thing. It's not like a straightforward thing. Yeah, I do this and I, I do this. You can be creative and um, imagine things and try out. This is nice. So I hope maybe we get a better understanding how CBD is working to also, I think research in, in cannabis research, no, research in cannabis knowledge need to continue a little bit because I think it's, still a lot to explore there and also for the public to know that it's not only the bad things we know about it there are also benefits about it and especially because it there's a lot of people who benefit medical from it and um, how we can use what we found in the in the lab for also patients this is not an excuse to have a spliff and not that I'm saying what one shouldn't, but just yeah. like this is medical cannabis is very, very yeah. different from say weed or something like that. Um, exactly. I, and I just think that's important to say because a lot of people uh, that I come across do use just the fact that there's research going on into cannabis oils as an excuse to have a spliff, which is not necessarily the best thing to do. Are you at all working with other labs? Because I've spoken to other people and actually there's a former podcast where I was speaking to Callie Seaman and she's researching cannabis as well and the benefits of that. Um, and, and she's a person with epilepsy, ironically. So how do you communicate with other labs um, in the country or around the world so that you don't duplicate research and instead benefit from each other's work? So first, yes, I did some collaboration with uh, in Galway that do they do not um, phytocannabinoid research, but endocannabinoid research, which is also another story. Um, so we did some, some work there together in epilepsy. And then obviously how we researchers normally get to know it, it's mostly conferences. That's where we get to know the work of other people. And uh, this is mostly the first start. And unfortunately, due to COVID, it's everything online and networking got harder, I have the feeling, because you don't have the face-to-face -face conversation. Obviously, you see the posters, you see the talks, but the, you know, the social interaction is kind of missing where you normally would make your contacts. And otherwise, yeah, it's, it's social media is where you see what other people do. And then if you're interested, you obviously contact people or might, yeah, we could, could we collaborate here or would there be some interest to work together? And do you see working together with other academics as beneficial? Yeah, I think in science collaborations are very important because you alone, you never, you know, there's a lot of techniques 
you cannot learn everything. And it's always nice if you know someone who can do other things or have another aspect of the story and then bring things together. And I think collaborations are really important. That's why um, if there are possibilities, I always try if I can help someone or if someone wants to help, you know, like to work together as, as a team. I think that's great because it honestly didn't used to be like that. Well, it's not like that with everyone in no. academia at the moment, but things are getting heaps better in that way, I think. And I do um, think that, you know, as horrific as COVID-19 has been and certainly still is in many places, like we wouldn't have met, right? Or met in inverted commas online yeah. if it hadn't been for COVID. Could you give me like a random fact or something exciting that you have learned um, in your work, in your, in your PhD so far that most people won't know of? So I learned, uh, obviously, before I started PhD, I had no idea about the cannabis world at all. So I was there. I already learned a lot. But what I learned, what I think it's when you study it, so not much touched is the endocannabinoid system. And what I really learned, because I'm a runner, okay, I'm in my free time, when I had time also to get my head free, I'm running a lot. And I didn't know that the runner's high is caused by the endocannabinoid system. Basically, it's a natural high from which caused just by uh, elements or component molecules in your body. It's nothing from outside. Your body makes your high. Creating your own weed inside. Yeah, no, I've heard of, I've heard of runner's high. But so it's like literally the same molecule that is created or? No, so it's the same mechanism as basically if you would use cannabis, like TH, obviously when we talk about cannabis, we always need to be careful because there is obviously different compounds in the cannabis plant. Yeah. So there's THC, THC is the one which makes you high and there's CBD, CBD has no psychoactive properties, but it has a lot of medical benefits. So mm -hmm. in our body, what the endocannabinoids do, they s stimulate the same receptors as THC. So they make you relaxed, feel you very happy and uh, causing like a high feeling. And so they should though, because the pain you feel like, oh, not that I'm a runner. Well, evidently the way that I'm talking, but yeah, the pain that you can feel after exercise maybe that's why we have the you know those lovely chemicals so most obviously you need to run very long distances like it's mostly the long distance runners they have a runner's high like marathon or ultra marathon people because obviously i think at one point they reach a level where the body is in a lot of stress because also of the pain and so on so just that it's not that bad and that you still feel good um probably you get this runner's high that you think, well, that's amazing, I still continue. I just found it very interesting that it's not that we have a system in ourselves which is made for basically, um, has a purpose already and that there's a plant which can interact with it. That was something I learned during my, like, obviously I learned a lot of other things, but this is one yeah. of the... <laughs> and you know what, that's a great thing about science um, and about epilepsy research in general, we find out so many things that are that do not relate just to epilepsy. They can relate to other parts of a person's life, other um, diseases, and it's just pretty cool, I think. And obviously I learned a lot about epilepsy and what a variety is in this disease, that it's not only one condition, it's a lot of different things and followed with 
even not only um, let's say seizures there are also other comorbidities um, associated to it and yeah I mean I mean I just like neuroscience and fascinated by how complex our brain is I confess I was um oh I can't remember who I was meeting but any anyway them and their gorgeous little baby and I don't know, does this make me bad? But I was thinking, wow, imagine what's going on in that brain right now, the changes that are going on in a little baby's brain. And I know, yeah. and it's, and it reminded me of a time as well. I was reading a, an article written by a nurse and she said she felt like a bit wrong, but every time she would see somebody with a good vein in their arm, she'd be like, yes, that is a good, <laughs> you know, I could imagine, you know, using, uh, taking blood from that vein. Um, yeah, anyway, random. Uh, so, so this specific um, work that you're doing for your PhD, what is going to happen um, afterwards? Are you going to still be working in epilepsy research, do you think? Or could you go off in another direction? I'll probably s stay for the moment in epilepsy research. Um, I learned so much about it at the, you know, the last few years and I think there's I still want to explore more, you know, obviously it, for us, it's always, we research is obviously everyone thinks we are just in lab and trying to discover new things. But I think if you work on a disease, you, you work towards also the patients because, um, you know, for what or for whom you're like, you don't only work for yourself. Yeah. There are a lot of patients who could maybe hopefully at one point benefit from it. Obviously it yeah. takes always a long time until you know, things advance, but it's, I think always a small step is already something. But I mean, for the broad future, what comes, you know, I'm, I don't say oh, my rest of my life, I want to dedicate for epilepsy. You know, if there's something else comes up, um, I just brain neuroscience related, everything um, I think is kind of fascinating. I've worked on Alzheimer's before, uh, was also interesting, you know, um, so I will see what the, what the future brings. Something that keeps me going when I've got these brain issues is, is the work that you and your colleagues are doing and seeing the relation between all these different illnesses or, or positive things like the runner's high. Mm -hmm. It's just like never ending. And I can't see, and maybe this is my own ignorance, but just see an end of into human brain, well, actually animal brain research because yeah, it's just, I mean, like the number of neural connections in the average human brain is greater than the number of st identified stars in the universe yeah. or something like that, right? So, and yeah. that is pretty cool. No, I say always it's fascinating that we try to understand our brain with our own brain, you know, yeah. because obviously we need to use our yeah. brain to understand what's inside. And this is always, on one hand, it's a paradox because how do you want to understand something? You, you But it's kind of uh, has also beauty on the other side like fascination yeah and it's like our inner child as well i was saying this in another talk yeah. with somebody else i really think it is so important to embrace your inquisitive nature that we naturally have as humans asking why 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 it doesn't have to be annoying i think of you know parents that do get a bit frustrated sometimes when like my my little neighbor's three so cute and he goes yeah but why but why and my actually i'm not quite sure okay yeah. um i'll look into it or like, we were playing with an with an aircraft or actually it was a spacecraft and i said no dude it has to go vertically up and but he said used to normal planes going in, in within earth's atmosphere and he goes yeah but why i'm like well um 
I'll, yeah, I'll come back to you to explain that one. Yeah. But it's a good thing, and we shouldn't stop children of any age, yeah. I think, from having that inquisitive nature because it's that that um, keeps you going, right? And, in, yeah. and keeps scientists in, in all areas of the field going because we just want to understand more and that benefits us as long as we have people like you communicating with us layman's and and telling us what you do and giving us a lot realistic hope that means so much yeah we are trying our best to to do our our work it's not always easy because obviously in science there's always ups and downs it's not every day like mm. what it's a nicer side nice we found something yeah there are also some let's say ups and downs with everything because obviously sometimes things just don't work as you want, but this is normal. This is, I always say, this is science. This is how it goes. But then at one point, there's always a reward mostly coming with, with one nice result. And, you know, and then you are just happy and say, yeah, let's continue. And I honestly think, is it called negative results? I think those uh, that should be renamed because I yeah. disagree. Like, no matter what the result is, it's a positive thing as long as it's taken into account because it allows you to redirect your research. So you found out, okay, cross that one off. That is not what I. That is not the result that I thought um, I would get. Great. Let's go round a corner and focus on something else. So hopefully we can achieve whatever we're trying to achieve. Although that always changes as well. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think it's great. Um, if people want to find you anywhere and learn more about you and your work and your PhD and all that you're up to, where should they go? I'm on Twitter. That's my research social media site. And then um, obviously I'm on the Future Neuro website. That's mostly what I'm doing in my research. And then um, for the scientist people, I'm also on ResearchGate. No doubt we'll see heaps and heaps of papers from you over time on ResearchGate. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully, yes. Yeah, but it's not all about the papers. It's about, exactly, you know, because yeah. I think lo lots of researchers, lots of scientists do heaps and heaps of work behind the scenes and then they, their papers aren't published for whatever reason and they don't get the recognition that they deserve um, or need to be encouraged to continue. So it's not all about numbers um, of papers published, right? It's not always the quantity, it's always the quality. Let's take it like that. Thanks to Mona Highland for sharing just a bit about her studies and her life to date with us, giving patients, families and carers, actually GPs, nurses and other clinicians and kind of the human population, you know, hope for more effective seizure treatments through her PhD work. Next week, I shall be talking to Rohit Shankar, Professor in Neuropsychiatry with the University of Plymouth Medical School, Director of its Cornwall Intellectual Disability Equitable Research or CIDA unit and Consultant in Developmental Neuropsychiatry and Clinical Director at Cornwall Partnership NHS Foundation Trust. Okay, there's more. And Chair of the Southwest Royal College of Psychiatrists. And we talk about how to care effectively for patients, their carers, families. We talk a bit about SUDEP, psychiatric comorbidities, and what we need to do to provide people affected with an improved quality of life. Follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook and we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Do subscribe to our podcast and know that we are always trying to improve what we are doing here for the programme. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.